Welcome to episode 3 of season 11 of Delving Into Dance. This season has a special focus on Australian dancers living and working overseas. This interview is with Juliette Burnett of Australian and Indonesian heritage. After dancing for the Australian ballet and working freelance in Australia, Juliette ventured to Europe and is now based in Antwerp. This interview is presented in two parts. Part one explores where dance started for Juliet, her time at the Australian Ballet, freelance life and moving to Europe. This episode includes ideas around making dance accessible for others. Part two looks at career highlights, dancing in Europe and Juliet as a DJ, alongside what is in store for 2020. This episode is part one, and I started by asking, where did dance start? From the outside, it would seem that it's that whole very, like, typical um, young girl growing up in Australia starts ballet at age five or four or whatever, coming from a privileged background, da-da-da-da-da, but actually it's not quite like that. <laughs> yeah, my mum is Indonesian. She was born in Surakarta, in Solo, in in Indonesia, and her mother was a um, dancer in the Sultan's Palace in Jogjakarta, and she was uh, a new mum in this new country in Sydney where I grew up in Australia and the way she tells it is that she saw like you know like all the other young mums were taking their girls to this ballet class and she saw that they were, she, they were taking them to this church just down the road from us in Wallara in Sydney and she just followed them in one day and just saw what was going on and was like oh yeah this seems like a good idea and then she also thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to see if um, my daughters, as I've got a younger sister, to see if my daughters had some latent dancing blood from my mother. So, yeah, so that was the the genesis of it. And I, I went into my first ballet lesson age five. I think mum brought my sister Jasmine in as well and she was like three and apparently she was crying so she had to wait <laughs> until she was five until she was old enough. <laughs> and stop crying <laughs> but yeah kind of didn't look back since that but that's that's how it all started in the church that was like five minutes down the road the church hall down the road and yeah it was this very sort of quite um quite cute to imagine actually like mum walking me down the road with my little ballet shoes like from our apartment up the road and in the local church hall it was yeah I have happy memories of um of of starting to learn ballet and it was just ballet that we did like from that age so yeah it was I don't know never knew what would happen 20 years down the track (laughs) such innocent beginnings so when, when was that point where you thought or you know you fell into that routine of ballet becoming something that then took over your life in a way that your career and everything like was there a turning point it's kind of funny because yeah mum and dad brought us up really more on theater and contemporary dance that was their taste and that was what they were interested in nobody really knew what ballet was in my family (laughs) like classical ballet you know, mum. Mum was a um, an actress. In her, her brother was a for, the foremost playwright, actor himself, poet um, in Indonesia. And she was in his 
theatre group. And so she grew up with this very artistic surround and theatre all around. And, yeah, so so she very much brought that into you know, my, my sisters and my upbringing as well. We were read Shakespeare and poetry by my dad um, and by her from, a, you know, from infancy basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and dad was, was a, you know, he was working at Qantas, but he was a painter as well in the 70s. So we grew up in this very sort of bohemian, artistic sort of <laughs> environment where, yeah, something like classical ballet which um certainly in australia has always been rather an elite sort of an art form and yeah the the elite art form that my parents were more interested in was the opera they would go to see the opera every now and again so classical ballet didn't really have a place so it was a really interesting kind of i don't know it was just a, a weird thing to follow but when I was, I actually remember super clearly when I was 10 years old, my teacher brought my mum in after one of my lessons and just said to, to mum, oh, um, I think Juliet has a lot of potential and would you be interested in bringing her in for some more private lessons for her to start learning um, contemporary dance and national dancing and all this other stuff um, to round out her dancing because I think she could really maybe think about taking it more seriously and... I just remember, like, not really understanding what was going on, but I do remember being really excited because she said that I was going to be playing Tinkerbell in the end-of-year production of Peter Pan. So I got, to, I got to do my first solo role. I got to wear these really cool yellow fairy wings, and I think I was a little bit more in love with my costume and the idea of it than the hard work that I had to put in being in a solo role in at 10 years old. But I just remember that sequence of events super clearly somehow, um, and mum just um, mum and dad both being very supportive of that and I think that that kind of is a nice analogy for how they've both supported my career throughout the years like classical ballet like I said like they they were learning about classical ballet as I got further and further into it my sister as well she was taking it really seriously up until age 18 she went to the Australian Ballet School as well and and so my parents were really on the learning curve with us about what what is classical ballet and what does it mean in Australia and what does it mean in our lives we've grown up on this other rich tapestry of other art forms and things so they were on that learning curve and just really just excited and supporting the fact that their daughters want to dance like who cares what kind of dance ball it was like but um yeah we all really got into like you know the the idea of classical ballet and we started to go to see the shows of the Australian ballet and I think I saw my first one when I was about 14 or something and that was the first time I saw the ballet and I was like wow this is amazing. Um, I didn't really think this is something I really want to do. I just thought it was amazing. There's no bloody way I could do that probably, <laughs> knowing me. But, but yeah, that, that, was, that, that was one sort of turning point and then, like, yeah, the story that ensued. But then the other turning point I very vaguely remember, not so vividly, was seeing a show of the Australian Ballet dancing on Jägen, this very famous John Cranko Ballet. And the guest artist that was performing Tatiana was Alessandra Ferry, the Italian ballerina. I do remember vividly just thinking, okay, 
I used to think that classical ballet was like really pretty, like magical and fairy tale and all that kind of thing. And here was like quite a raw story and very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> big music and lots of drama and I remember being quite amazed that you could tell a really human story with classical ballet and I was yeah I must have been 15 or so at the time because that was the point at which I was like oh this is something that I'm really interested in like I was like a little Pina Bausch nerd you know <laughs> doing classical ballet and wanting to find already at that age some sort of human purpose in in what I was doing yeah then then the trajectory into classical ballet made more sense for me as a teenager who's like exploring and wanting to wanting all the answers and probably thinking they know everything and all that kind of stuff that we all the teenagers you know we all do as teenagers so yeah no that's um they're the only really the two turning points I can really think of. And are your parents like ballet fans now? Well, like they sort of, they, yeah, for sure. I would say they are. Like they they watch all of my shows, like uh, any production. I mean, they've even flown over here several times to see me dance some landmark roles over here in Antwerp. And yeah, they've come to see as much as they can. And like really, they're incredible. They're for sure my number one fan. <laughs> there's no doubt about it and like um all my like my bosses that I've worked with and choreographers and everything they all get to know my parents and they just know that they're going to be at the show and it's so it's so nice and I remember even like when we're doing Cafe Muller the Pina Bausch piece here in in Antwerp I just remember how much the the Pina Bausch dancers who were staging it they just loved my parents <laughs> it was such a touching moment because we all like my family we all just like love Pina Bausch as well so it was just like they were just so over the moon more than any other choreographer or stager or boss I worked with they're like oh my gosh the dance theater Wuppertal dancers you're like most of the original cast of Cafe Muller is there saying, oh, you're such wonderful people. I don't know. And they were like, oh, my gosh, is this actually happening? So I would say, like, yeah, that's a bit of a fanning moment for them. <laughs> so they're for sure, like, massive dance fans. You know, we went to see a lot of Sydney Dance Company in the 80s and 90s when Graham Murphy was the artistic director. And, yeah, we really saw a lot of that. And they're huge fans of Graham's work. And Stephen Page at Bangara as well. We saw to see a lot of that so yeah they're fans for sure <laughs> you were marinated in a lot of different dance then totally and, and other like, art forms yeah. as well by the sound of it yeah yeah totally um yeah for sure very nice mixed marinade <laughs> <laughs> and so you danced for the australian ballet for a number of years in australia and yep. then you moved overseas i was just wondering like why the why the move why why what drew you to Europe or out of Australia? Yeah, well, I'd been with the Australian Ballet for, yeah, nearly 13 years. And honestly, when I first joined, I was excited about classical ballet. I was excited and very much on a, I was on this sort of momentum, really, that you sort of have after those three intense years of training. And I was really focused on, yeah, I think I don't think I really had a goal to be like a ballerina, but I had this very 
very firm focus that I would like to work in a ballet company. When I say to be a ballerina, I mean like what everyone aspires to, like to be a big principal ballerina and all that kind of thing. Like I didn't really want to be a star like <laughs> many of my peers might might have liked. But um, I think I just I just wanted to dance and I wanted the opportunity of a ballet company. And I think also because we'd seen so many shows of the Australian Ballet and I was at the Australian Ballet School, that's what I aspired to. Yeah, and then... It was like maybe about age 25, about 100 years ago. No, I'm joking. I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, when I was about 25, I just had a bit of a, after that sort of momentum, you know, you, you join the company and you're like doing lots and lots and lots and you're just like working round the clock and the Aussie Ballet is doing like 200 shows a year and touring everywhere and it was it was actually quite ridiculous. <laughs> Workload there is crazy. Mad respect to all the dancers who have gone through the Australian Ballet. It's a very, very 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 hard working environment yeah I think I just got to this point where like I had a bit of an existential crisis basically and I was like what the hell am I doing here do I really love ballet like I was starting to look at the dancers around me and the ballets that I was dancing and feeling really lost and really not at all like not at all into my work like I was Hey, I mean, I've always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with tutus, for example, and um, mostly hate. <laughs> and I was cast in a lot of the stuff with tutus, like doing solo principal roles um, because I could do it. And and I was like, you know, that kind of thing is like, because I can do it, is that a good enough reason to be doing it? And, like, you know, all of the perennial questioning around, like, what the hell am I doing here? what do I want to put my, what do I want to invest my, my best dancing years in? Yeah. So, um, I was thinking then about leaving already and it wasn't because I didn't, it wasn't that I was like not enjoying the, all of my work. There was certainly some moments and I realized that those moments were when I was either in a creation or when I was doing something more modern yeah, it came about that time that Wayne McGregor came to create a work and we were also dancing some Yuri Killian and Nacho Duato with Matic Machewski and Niccolo Fonte as well, yeah. So there was some, some more modern choreographers coming through and, yeah, it started to pique my interest again in dancing. So it was starting to tell me that maybe because these opportunities were sort of few and far between in a big classical ballet company, that I should maybe start looking elsewhere. And another thing that happened around that time was that I received a, a fantastic travelling scholarship from the Aussie Ballet. Um, uh, it was a career development scholarship. And because of the geographic isolation of Australia, a dancer um, can use it to go and check out other companies around the world. So I used it to go to San Francisco Ballet, the Royal Ballet, this company here, the Ballet Flandern, Dutch National Ballet. Then I had some money left over and I asked um, my boss if I could use that money to go back to Indonesia to do some Javanese dance training because I was beginning to feel this, even though, like, I mean, we went to Indonesia every year of my childhood. Um, I really very much, I consider that 
I grew up in both countries. I very much consider that. But I hadn't been back for longer than a couple of weeks since I was like 20 or something. And so it was a good few years and I hadn't been back there for a full immersion really. It was just like go in, say hi to the relatives and then leave. And I was just starting to feel this pull to like connect more with my culture there and to connect also with the origins of why I dance. So, uh, yeah, and it was great that I was approved to be able to go and um, use the rest of the money to, to train there. And so I went to Surakata solo, which is the um, city where my mum was born and happens to be the capital of, like, traditional classical Javanese dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, one of my cousins hooked me up with one of the best teachers there and I asked to learn the dance that my grandmother was famous for, which I wasn't allowed to learn because you have to be within the palace walls and it's very sacred and da-da-da-da-da. So I wasn't allowed to do that, but she said she could teach me another dance that was similar and I did that. And it was a huge awakening. I, I realised then why I'd spent all these years in classical ballet without even knowing it because there's so many similarities, like fundamental similarities between the styles. I mean, first of all, the origins in the royal court and this, like, because of that, the the sense of regal carriage and grace and elegance, the very sort of legato, lyrical quality of movement, the turned-out feet, yeah, and and the use of storytelling as well um, and the, the use of motifs and gestures to tell a story without words. And there was, yeah, and it was really like this, like, okay, I get it. I get why, why I'm doing this ballet thing. Like, I, this is in my blood, like, quite literally to do, you know, like, yeah, growing up in Sydney, it means I'm, I'm you know, I have that Western connection and, like, I'm fulfilling this, like, western version of my you know javanese culture and it was just really like everything just sort of clicked into place and it was a super nice moment and yeah since then it's kept me really in touch with um that side of my identity as well and that was a super important moment for me because i came back to australia and it i could feel it had transformed my dancing So I continued at Aussie Ballet for a few more years, but then I was just starting to feel like the walls were closing in around me or I was outgrowing the walls. I don't know what it was exactly, but I just, I just actually, I really felt it when I was performing Graham Murphy's Swan Lake, which was an, it would have been an interesting um, full circle because that was the first time I stepped on stage of the Australian ballet was as one of the swans. And then there I was dancing the lead role Odette um, in Sydney on the Capitol Theatre stage. And I'd been um, understudying the role for 11 years and I finally got to do the role and I remember stepping off stage and thinking I would be so content if this was the end of my years with the Australian Ballet, but I had some shows coming up in a couple of months from then in Sydney as well of Giselle, which was another, like, it was a classical ballet role that I really aspired to do. 
and also I was on all the posters. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, well, shit, I'd better stay for that one. No, it wasn't like that. It was more like I really, I felt like a real, like not loyalty, but just like this real like pull to do that and fulfill that. And I'm really glad I did because it was one of the most, um, beautiful processes I got to do with this wonderful yeah, she's the ex-artistic director of the Australian Ballet Mina Gilgood and she's um, such an extraordinary mind in the classical ballet world um, she she brings such a humanness to classical ballet which is so nice and um, a theatricality as well which I really connected a lot with like I could finally really be a human on stage and it was super super nice so yeah I was I had such a great process working with her towards Giselle and I'm really glad I did that and then yeah I had my final show Giselle on the Sydney Opera House stage in April 2015 and I just knew it at the end of act one actually um after I died I was like yep this is gonna be my last so I just knew it. Yeah, um, I came off stage. Um, actually, no, I died behind the grave and I just, like, lowered back behind the grave and I just, like, burst into tears. And I just remember the assistant stage manager, like, I was, like, lying on the ground like this with my hands over my face. And I just remember the assistant stage manager, like, pushed a box of tissues towards me. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Kim. <laughs> It was just such a, like, overwhelming moment. And, yeah, I came out the stage door after the show and my sister just came up and she's like, that was your last one, wasn't it? And she's like, and I was like, yeah, that, that was it. And yeah, it was just really, it was a very emotional moment. And, um, yeah, I, I, I took a month to think about it, but then a month later I, I resigned and it was in the middle of the season. But... I really needed to go. Like, I'd, I'd already been sitting on it for, uh, yeah, basically a few years before that and finding the right moment and it just felt so right in my heart and I knew that if I stayed a moment longer, then I would I would, I would, would probably, I don't know what would have happened, but I would have been very unhappy and I knew that I deserved to exit in the, the way that I would like to. I, I felt that I'd earned that. So, yeah, I was really um, happy with the way that it happened. It wasn't understood by everyone and that I, I was prepared for because, like, you know, maybe it feels like a dishonour to end your contract in the middle of a season and I, I was very aware of that. But then uh, I'd been such a loyal and good member of the company for such a number of years that, you know, like I really did feel right in my heart and my conscience felt that it was a justified way to choose to end my loyalty to the company. So so that happened. And then I decided to freelance for a couple of years and I was really grateful that I did that because I could fully explore the Australian as much as possible, not fully, but as much as possible explore the Australian dance scene outside of the Australian ballet where it's not that I felt like I was caged in there. It's not that. It's just that because the reality is you, when you're doing 200 shows a year, you don't have time to go and see a lot of other things and be in other workplaces and really, like, I had a lot of friends who were choreographers or dancers in other companies and I could finally go and work with them and collaborate and do all those things that I dreamed of doing for so many years. And so that was super cool. And then, um, I remember, meanwhile... I think it was during that time I saw you in... Um 
A Piece with Melanie Lane. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Was it Remake yeah. or what was it? Remake. Remake. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of explored the body and ballet and that kind of yeah. stuff, didn't it? Like, yes, I, absolutely. It was a while ago now, but yeah, yeah. I, I remember that piece that was, quite vividly. Yeah, yeah. That was probably my favourite collaboration of that time. Um, yeah, Mel and I are like friends from childhood, actually, because um, our parents were friends. Her dad translated many of my uncle's texts into English from Indonesian. And so our parents were friends, like in the 70s. And um, yeah, and then we just, I just remember going to Mel's house when we were like, when I was probably like nine years old or something and trying on her point shoes. <laughs> it's so funny. And then we reconnected again um, when she had a piece in Dance Massive, like, um, can't remember what year it was but we reconnected many years later like maybe in 2015 actually and then yeah just like we promised we'd stay in touch and one day work together and yeah we we worked a couple of times together in that year we also um created a solo work based on my uncle's texts that i performed in jakarta in 2016 and then not long after that we worked on remake and yeah that was like that was a really cool process because um, really she was interested in dipping into my archive, my physical archive, and it brought up a lot of stuff, actually. It was very interesting. Yeah, like whether it was like commentary on, um, yeah, certain works that I had beef with basically because of the political incorrectness of it in being presented in the modern day. <laughs> <laughs> or whether it was that um, it was an awkward sort of movement style that I had to try and inhabit or, yeah, so so we made this really cool sort of moment where it was stitching all of those things together and, yeah, so, it, yeah, it was a super fun process. I'd love to, yeah, actually we're talking about working together again, so, yeah, watch this space. <laughs> that was a really nice, really, really nice project and, Actually, that segues nicely into the original question. Sorry, I really rant. Um, no, you're not ranting um, at all. <laughs> the last show of that, after the last show of that, a chunky move, I had my flight to come over here <laughs> and start work the next day. It was Whoa. wild. It was so wild. I um, so I yeah. In, that, in those years of freelancing, I sort of dipped back overseas every now and again just to I – did, I did do a couple of auditions, but it wasn't really consciously auditioning for other companies. It was more like just to see what was out there and I just connected with some directors and wanted to see what was happening and whether it was – whether I wanted to be back in a ballet company, whether I wanted to be in a contemporary company or a company at all, like um, – it was really eye-opening because, yeah, I hadn't ever experienced that really like that before. And one company that I really liked was was here in Antwerp. And I was really interested because their director, Sidi Labicherkawi, was I've always been a fan of his work. And I, I was really interested when he took over the ballet company here um, because it's got a bit of a mixed history here with the the repertory like it's always been um you know doing 
a lot of modern ballet stuff. Like, it's not always the traditional stuff. And, yeah, the, there was an Australian director here, Kathy Bennett, um, who brought a lot of Forsyth um, to the company because, yeah, she she was working at Frankfurt Ballet. As, I think she was, yeah, she was assistant director to, to Bill Forsyth. And that's what really put Ballet Flandern on the world stage. Like she really, you know, like this Australian director really brought Ballet Flandern to the world stage. And I've always been interested in the company since then. So it's been on the radar. And then, yeah, when Larby came in, I was like, okay, like this is, this is really interesting what he might be about to do. And I just sent an email and basically asked if, if they were offering contracts and they were. So I came over and did a class and yeah, eventually I got a job and I was really, really happy about that because yeah, now I've been here, yeah, just over three years. So this is my f- f- fourth season. Yeah, this is my fourth season now. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I did because I, I very much align my own values of what dance can be and what it what it is or what it is, you know, in this state of flux <laughs> as what it is. I very much align with lobbies and I, I feel anyway. And and it's really nice to be part of that vision and the, the repertory we have here, the, the diversity of it is quite astounding. It's really crazy what we get to do. And I'm really in love with the group of dancers as well, like the diverse background of training. Like we have some classical trained dancers, but we also have dancers that are contemporary dance trained from all over the world. And I, I really get inspired by them on a daily basis and I, I yeah cultural different cultural backgrounds and yeah no it's really really a nice rich environment to be part of you know like like any company there's there's always difficult moments but I feel like we we're like a nice family that is interested creatively in one one adventure and it's really it's a nice place to be I'm, I'm happy when you talk yeah. about your values, like in, mm. in regards to dance, what, like what kind of values are they or what are they for you? For me, it's always thinking about the greater context. Like what, what can dance mean in the world today? Like um, especially, I mean, basically, let's face it, the world right now is shit. <laughs> like there's so much horrible stuff going on in the world at the moment it's like it's heartbreaking I I kind of stopped reading the news on a daily basis a couple of years ago actually because it made it just made me depressed it Mm. like it really it's it's horrible uh so yeah like um I feel like I'm constantly re-evaluating what dance means in the world and what it can mean to me in my life and how I can use dance as my medium in my life um, to to better place myself in the world, basically. Actually, yeah, my, my uncle actually has a great quote that I kind of live by, which is, um, you know, that he believes that art is the voice of the people. Mm. And so I, I feel like the value that I have of dance as a medium is how can it be like a meaningful voice for humanity 
for our humanness like how can we communicate or you know heighten our communication between each other through this dance through dance as a medium and that I would say that that's my primary value is like what what is the place of dance and how it actually in many ways as an art form has a responsibility to be in the world and to speak of our humanness. Dance is often accused of being quite elite, particularly, um, I guess, the ballet or classical um, strands can often be seen as quite um, exclusive and elite and, I mean, even to participate in those art forms. I mean, you talked about it before as a young child. It's generally, it's a lot of investment in terms of families in classes and... Yeah. that long-term childhood investment to, to make it in ballet. Um, contemporaries can, can be a bit different. Mm-hmm. I guess how, and I know you've done a bit of work in Indonesia kind of in terms of dance and making dance accessible, but yeah. I guess how, how does dance as an art form reach that greater audience uh, as that voice for the people? Because often exactly. I guess people don't see it in, in those ways necessarily. Yeah. That's like kind of my my project at the moment is figuring out how. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, you tapped on there. That, yes, I've been doing some uh, yeah some community projects in Indonesia. Um, mainly, it's been like groundwork, just getting to know what is needed to bridge those those gaps. Indonesia is a country where there's a huge divide between the socioeconomic classes, so to speak, between demographics, much more so than a Western country, I would say. Like, it's, it's sort of similar to India in that way. It's like between the, the poor and the middle class and then even, like, the divide between the middle class and the rich. It's, it's kind of really crazy, almost unfathomable sometimes. Yeah, and... Growing up in Sydney and, yeah, really in a very privileged um, situation, yeah, I sort of, it wasn't until later in my life in adulthood, um, especially as a dancer in like a big wealthy ballet company where I started thinking about like how, how can I use this position that I have here to to reach out to to more people and I was quite inspired by actually at the Australian Ballet they've always had a very good community outreach um, education program and that's always been a really important facet of the company and I very much admire that and was inspired by it I think it's called the out there program now I'm not sure I'm won't paraphrase because I don't know what I'm talking about but um but they've always been very very good with that and I like totally hats off to them was always really inspired by that and yeah like even in Australia like to start classical ballet you're right like yeah it's a lot of money Mm. (laughs) you know if you want to start classical ballet and the answer to how to bridge that gap is like I have no clue like Mm. I don't like in terms of like education and access to education I really don't I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that but I'm I'm hoping to learn more about it I do know strangely more about it in Indonesia than I do in Australia that in Indonesia it is really only the wealthy kids who are doing classical ballet who are 
interested, in fact, in doing Western classical forms because it is, it's, uh, we call it in Indonesia, kebudayaan bule, which means like white culture. Um, and it is, it's a Western art form. It's very elite. Like, you know, you think it's elite in Australia, like, baby, in Indonesia, it's like, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's really, it's really very, um, it's for sure it's out of context it's like this like very it's the elephant in the it's very um <laughs> out of context there and a lot of the kind of classical ballet shows that you might get to see there are done by um you know there's no professional ballet company there where they pay the employees and all the rest of it they're working towards it and i'm trying to help them work towards it but when I say them I mean the ballet community there but yeah it's something that is a, a long-term vision for sure because it's a it's not that it's a relatively new thing like there's been like uh, from the Dutch colonial times in fact um, you know there has been ballet schools there and there's been famous dancers who um, have danced overseas from Indonesia and there's been a classical ballet culture there since I think like I'm going to say maybe the early 20th century even but it's very much um, still like uh, because of yeah such a rich culture of other art forms and traditional dance and being culturally out of context it's mean it's it's a very slow road and and i know that there's a lot of renewed interest lately because it, i mean there's some big ballet schools there that have been sending kids over for competitions in america and there's been a lot of success so there's some more interest in um the talent there and yeah it's just like it's still it's all um hard work but it, it remains something for the wealthier people mm. and so something i'm more interested in doing is um coming in as someone like one of the only in fact i can't think off the top of my head any other indonesian or half indonesian dancers classical ballet dancers in the world at the moment there was a full indonesian dancer in the australian ballet natasha kusen but she's just retired just last month. But, yeah, so it's it's not, like, taken to that level. But what I'm more interested in is, I mean, I'm interested in that aspect and how to get these, the Indonesian ballet scene on the world stage, but I'm, what I'm more interested in is how to bring the communities and lower, like, um, socioeconomic demographics in to be able to access not just classical ballet training but contemporary dance training from western influences and and not just that i'm also interested in how can we discover a way to put it into a an indonesian culture context so that it can be something that can be a meaningful medium for them i mean my uncle very successfully did it he translated shakespeare into indonesian and brought like you know western theater principles and collided them with javanese philosophies um and that's the basis on which he founded bankel theater which um is still alive today and he did that from 
going to New York and, you know, training in New York and then bringing all of that experience back Mm -hmm. to Indonesia. And that's something that I would really like to explore how to do that in Indonesia. But it's mainly why Indonesia more than Australia? Why? Because I feel like, I feel like they need me there. (laughs) I feel like, um, I don't know, like in Australia, there's plenty of experienced Australian dancers who can who can do those sort of things and yeah who have been around the world been professionals and can bring that experience back into the home turf but there's very few professional dancers who have done the dash who will come back to Indonesia and and bring that work there it's starting to happen more and more um like Melanie Lane's working there a lot now um and yeah and they're bringing a lot more of that overseas professional experience in there but then it's a different thing altogether to also have the blood of that place running through you and I feel like I have a role to fulfill there and yeah in a a very long-winded answer the question is like I'm still learning and I would really like to find more ways to to bridge those gaps and find ways to make make the western forms of dance accessible to get some good training happening and to discover together how to recontextualize it in indonesia and i think that that's a pretty exciting um adventure that i'd I'd like to embark on i've got a a few more years of my dancing to (laughs) fulfill first but um it's something that's on the radar for me Thanks for listening to part one of this interview. You can find out more about Juliet in part two of this interview. You can also find a range of notes and more information at delvingintodance.com. On the website, you'll also find a range of written responses about dance from a range of different dance makers, artists and thinkers. Delving to Dance relies on the support of listeners to share these episodes and spread the word of dance further and further. So please, if you enjoy these episodes, share them amongst your friends. Delving to Dance is funded by listener contributions and also relies on funding from the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria and the Australian Government through the Australia Council, its arts funding and advisory body. Until next time, take care.